This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is the United States of Murder. This week, we're in Tennessee, and we're going to change things up a bit and both cover the same case. We'll be discussing a man on death row who may be innocent and is set to be executed in a few months. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the volunteer state. The death penalty is something that most of us have a strong opinion on one way or the other. Perhaps if we all knew that everyone executed was in fact guilty of murder, it wouldn't be such a fiery issue. Unfortunately, like many other systems, this one isn't without its flaws. To date, at least 4% of people on death row either were or likely are innocent. Since 1973, more than 170 people who were wrongly convicted have been exonerated. There is no doubt that some innocent people have been executed. Human judgment is sometimes fallible and studies even show that memories are not as reliable as we think they are. Research shows that when we describe our memories differently to different audiences, it isn't only the message that changes, but sometimes it's also the memory itself. This is known as the audience tuning effect. Newly available DNA evidence has allowed the exoneration and release of more than 20 death row inmates since 1992 in the United States. However, DNA evidence is only available in a fraction of capital cases. And unfortunately, in some cases, like the one we'll discuss today, the DNA evidence has never been tested. Sharice Christopher was a 28-year-old living in Millington, Tennessee, with her two children, Nicholas and Lacey. Nicholas was three years old and Lacey was two and a half. So a little background on Cherise, she was born on December 16th of 1958 in Falls City, Nebraska. She married Kenneth Christopher on December 3rd, 1983, and a month later they had their first child, Nicholas. Well, there was some trouble in paradise, and they did get pregnant in in the meantime with a daughter that would be named Lacey Jo, but they broke up before she gave birth. So, not long after children were born, she ended up moving to Millington, Tennessee, which is where her family's originally from. So, like I said, her marriage, things were on the rocks. It wasn't happy. It definitely wasn't safe, for that matter. So, in 1985, she filed divorce from Kenneth and cited cruel and inhumane treatment, abandonment, and neglect as the cause. And I think it was the divorce papers that stated he was in a habitual state of drunkenness. Yes, yeah. So definitely... Sounds like a big... A lot of problems there. Yeah, a big problem. Actually, soon after, he got incarcerated for aggravated assault, and I wasn't sure who it was against. I couldn't find it. No, I couldn't find it I don't think it was against her necessarily, but it... It could have been. Yeah, Yeah. true. It could have been. So he ended up at Fort Pillow State Penitentiary. And so, just a little quick note about this, the type of jail he was in actually allowed some inmates to leave during the day, which I'd never heard of before. Yeah, that sounds very... So, from what I heard, they kind of had a 
schedule where they could leave, do work like picking up trash or whatever. Right. I know a lot of prisons do that, but unlike most, they didn't really have a set schedule. There wasn't like a sign-in, sign-out thing. They didn't pay close attention to them. I guess it's these people weren't in there for murder, so I guess they, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there wasn't a close eye on any of these prisoners. Right, there was no one keeping a head exactly. count throughout yeah. the day. yeah. Well, anyway, after the divorce, Sharice and her two kids ended up moving into the Hiawassee apartments with her sister. So she was super close with her sister, but that living arrangement didn't last long because her sister ended up reconciling with her ex-husband. So her sister ended up moving out to go, you know, live with her husband again, her ex-husband. So... Charisse, Nicholas, and Lacey lived in the Hiawassee apartments on the second floor. So the building in total had four units. So it kind of sounds to me... So it was me, like two and two. Yeah, two and two. It kind of sounds to me more like a townhome situation, yeah. but I didn't see it. The but pictures, did you see the pictures of it? No. It, it does kind of look okay. like a townhome. Like there's stairs in the middle that lead up. That makes sense because like here there's way more than just four, but it said... So, yeah, it had four units, two upstairs, two downstairs. The building also had two ways to exit a metal stairway attached to it, like a shared back porch on the second floor. Mm -hmm. And so there was also an indoor stairway leading to the ground floor hallway and through the front entrance of the building. So you would pass through the inside if you wanted to leave, you know, through the front. And I read that they had actually, um, her sister and her, when they were looking for places because of her you know, tumultuous past with her Mm ex-husband and her being afraid of him. Yeah. They picked a second floor. That way, no one could get in. Like, it was safe. And they had put a deadbolt and a chain lock on the door. And there was really just one way in. I mean, there was the back porch, but like you said, it was, you know, a shared Mm -hmm. or whatever. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't like anybody could climb in the windows or, you know, they, since she had two young children. Yeah. Like, they really felt safe. Yeah, that's true. I I live on the second floor and I feel much safer than when sure. I lived on the first floor. I mean, you can still break in one way, but it's not like any window is a window you can, you right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, around 3 p.m. on June 27th, 1987, the manager of the building, and they actually live downstairs. Below her, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. The manager heard Cherie screaming, get out, get out. And... She said that at first she thought she was yelling this at her children, you know, like as in a scolding, get out, get out, which I can, you know, I can Oh, I yell that at Max all the time. Every time (laughs) I go to the bathroom, I have to yell at him, get out of here. So that makes sense. And so she didn't think a ton about that until she said she heard a blood curdling scream. Actually, she said she heard many blood curdling screams. So at this point, she calls the police. Well... The police was immediately dispatched. I mean, this is one of those cases. They took no time getting there. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find an exact time. But Less like, than two minutes. Yeah, it's like, mm-hmm. what, did they live next door? Right. It was so fast. So in the meantime, um, the manager said she heard scream, the screaming stopped, and then she heard footsteps going into what she thought was the bathroom and heard a faucet turn on, and she assumed that someone was washing up. You know, the police officer showed up within a couple of minutes. He immediately noticed a black man was on the second floor landing and had blood all over him. Well, he confronted this man and said, what's going on here? 
And the man responded, I'm the complainant. Like I'm the one that. Yeah, I found that kind of a weird phrase, but that's what he said. And he kind of seemed like a panic in a panic or something. He threw his overnight bag at the officer, dropped the shoes that were in his hand and started running. Of course, the officer starts chasing after him. Well, so, you know, in the meantime, there are other officers investigating the crime, the apartment of Sharice. And this next bit does cover some graphic stuff. And it unfortunately includes some graphic stuff with children. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear this part. I don't blame you at all. All right. So they walked into a horrifying scene with blood covering the walls and the floor. And there are photos of this online. And it is horrible. It is actually, it looks like a nightmare. I know people say that all the time to describe to describe scenes, but it's nightmarish. It's very gut-wrenching. Yeah. Agreed. Charisse was lying on the kitchen floor in a pool of blood, and so were her two children. So Nicholas had several abdominal stab wounds that basically penetrated his entire body. He was still bleeding, but he was still breathing as well. Charisse and Lacey, on the other hand, were not still breathing. So I watched an episode of Impact of Murder on ID about this case, and I know you did too. Oh, gosh. It was a sad episode overall, but this has Sharice's family on there kind of giving their impressions of the case and their, you know, retelling. Well, he was on the show talking about that day and he said, quote, I felt a cold blade touch me. There was a wetness as if I'd just come out of the bath. In an instant, everything went black. When I came to, I could see my mother's face. She was looking at me, but her eyes were blank. Ugh. I know, I know. I tried reaching for her, but there was no life in her whatsoever, end quote. Yeah, and on the show, he, I'm not sure how old he is in the show, maybe 30s? If he's eight, he was three. When was this, 87? Well, I don't don't know when the show was filmed. Oh, yeah, I don't either. So I'm not sure how old he was. During the filming. During the filming of the show, but he's an adult. Oh, yeah, he's grown. He's grown. But um, he showed his scars on his stomach, and they were they were horrific. I mean, looks like a shark attack. Yeah, and they were from when it was three years old, and they were they're huge. They're they huge. cover like his whole abdomen. Mean, yeah, it's just really bad. It really is. He's I can't believe he lived through that. To be honest, as a three year old, I'm surprised he didn't bleed out. Well, Cherie sustained forty two direct knife wounds, and 42 defensive wounds on her arms and legs. So she had a total of 84 stab wounds to her body. Yep. So, well, it says the wounds were caused by 41 separate thrusts. So I guess one specific, I don't know how they can tell that, but one specific thrust made two wounds. So there were overall 85 is what they said. She had in total 80. 85 wounds, no major organ was punctured. Which is unbelievable. Can you imagine that? 85 stabs on your bo- wounds on your body, not a single major organ is touched. That's, that's unbelievable. Like that- It really is. And so unfortunately, you know, her cause of death was bleeding out. Even though they got there super fast, that's so many stabs. But yeah, it's just, ugh. So when they found Cherise, she was lying on her back with her legs fully extended. 
The report did say her shorts had been pushed up her legs. They weren't taken off or anything. They were just, it said pushed up. I, but it's almost like I wonder if they got pushed up in the struggle. Yeah. Versus someone actually pushing them up with their hands. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that seemed weird to me. Like the they were riding pushed up. up. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, sometimes they I weren't taken off. And my thighs will make my shorts <laughs> <laughs> push up. Yeah, I know. I just thought that was kind of a weird phrasing. Her shorts sure. were pushed up. Uh, well, they said that a used tampon was found beside her body. And the medical examiner did conclude that she was menstruating at the time. Well, they also, you know, tested her and her vagina tested positive for acid phosphatase. So this is something that's consistent with the presence of semen, but it's not always. And no sperm was found. But also, it's important to know, her boyfriend, Daryl Shank, said they had sex the night before. So if that was from sex, it could have been from this encounter. But again, it acid phosphatase doesn't mean sex always. No, no. Lacey, the sweet little baby girl, was lying on the floor with her mother, near her mother. And she was stabbed nine times. Mm, God, this makes me, like, tear up. Yeah, one of her wounds was through the aorta which would have led to a quick death. I mean, nothing is good, but I hope it was quick. I really do. I just, ugh. Well, in Lacey's form, the police recovered what looked like a man's baseball cap and the murder weapon, you know, the butcher knife, was found on the ground near her feet. So they started kind of talking to the neighbors and everything, and one woman said she was outside at her, her cookout nearby and heard some screaming. And then there was another woman who was visiting her sister in the same apartment that afternoon and was suntanning in the backyard. And she said she heard something like a person moaning mm-hmm. and um, coming from Teresa's apartment. She said she heard the back door slam three or four times, kind of like the door wasn't going to shut. And she saw a dark colored hand wearing a gold watch trying to slam it shut. So, but nobody helped her. Right. Everybody heard. Mm-hmm. Get out, screaming, moaning, saw the door slamming, Mm -hmm. but nobody helped. I think one woman had said she had thought about, I think it was the manager, she thought about running up and instead she decided to call the police. But yeah, none of these other people, they're kind of, I guess, bystanders, but yeah. So just for everyone to know, little legal tidbit, you are under no obligation to help anybody. I know that sounds terrible, but each state has like good Samaritan laws. Did you mm-hmm. look any of this up? I I saw that term mentioned a lot, but I don't really know exactly what goes into that. So, good Samaritan laws vary like from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, so state to state. So like for instance in Vermont, you must if you know someone is in danger and as long as you aren't in any risk, um, you must help somebody. It's a crime punishable by up to a hundred dollar fine. If you don't, if you, someone like report, I don't know how they would know. I guess the victim told that, Hey, this person, whatever. Anyways, if you don't help, you are required. If you don't, you can be fined. In Rhode Island, if you witness a sexual attack, it is your duty to call the police. If you don't, it's a misdemeanor. Mm. And up to a five hundred dollar fine and one year in jail. Wow. Yeah. So, but you are under no legal obligation to help someone in distress. That's called a 
no duty rescue rule. Basically, it's not a crime. If you don't want to help, you can't be sued if you don't help anybody. So if you're walking your dog home, for instance, and you see some man attacking a woman and stabbing her, if you turn around and walk the other way, you're under no legal, like you can't then turn around and be sued. Like if you, if you come forward and you're like, Hey, I'm a witness and I saw this, Mm -hmm. they cannot turn around and sue you for not, they can't say like, why, well, why didn't you help? You're under arrest and we're going to sue you. And you don't even have to call 911? No. Wow. You're under no legal obligation. So in 1998, Aviation Medical Assistance Act was passed and that protects you, um, like during a flight Mm -hmm. to help. Um, all 50 states have some type of law and it basically it protects you. So say someone again is in an accident, you pull over to help them. They have a neck injury. You don't know because you're not a doctor unless your husband's with you. And then you would have a doctor. With you. Happened. <laughs> but okay. like if you pull them out of the car and yes, you you're further not, you're injure not them, to pull them out of, the but car. if you further injure them, they cannot sue you mm-hmm. and say, I, if she would have just left me. Yeah. So that it really protects you versus. Yeah. Now, I don't think Arkansas does because I know that Clint and I were going somewhere one time. I think we were going to Dallas and there was a car accident. And I was like, oh my God, stop and help. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, we'll call the police. We're not going to stop and help them because there weren't, there's not anything. Like, like I said, if you hurt them or injure them. That's not a hundred percent fact. This has also been 10 years ago. So I don't know what it is now. So don't misconstrue me and go out there and like try to help somebody and think you're not going to get sued because you don't know that for a fact in this state, but you can look it up. I mean, there, those laws are to protect people like you and I, like bystanders who may, I mean, and that's the thing is like, I'd probably try to help somebody anyways. You know, I would hate to think there are still ways you could help someone. I feel like, and not, well, and that's the number one thing that happens is like call nine one one. Is everyone is somebody may think you know like even when you're taking CPR classes, mm-hmm. like that's one of the first things is they like tell you to make sure you point or tell someone like Lacey, call nine one one because if there's five people standing around, you say that. Well, who's to say the other person doesn't yeah. think the other person's calling them? Anyways, we digress. Get back mm-hmm. to your story. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's interesting to know. But yeah, there's there's. I mean, I'm, I'm not telling you don't help people. I'm just saying that there are laws that protect you if you do and you mess them up worse. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to digress a bunch, but we witnessed a man. He was driving erratically and he flipped the guardrail, flipped it. We watched, we were directly behind him near Cookville, Tennessee, and he flips it totally. I mean, it was terrible. We were the direct witness to this. So we did pull over. Sure. Well, I actually did not cross the street. Samuel, my husband did, but I stayed on the other side because it was, I was wearing flip-flops in the traffic. It's an interstate. No one's slowing down. Look like how Lacey says, and I had on flip-flops. I would have gotten hit by, I'm like, no. I can't run across yeah. school. But yeah, he went over there and the guy was upside down in the car. He was alive and everything, luckily. And so I know this, that if you, if you are just by yourself and you try to pull someone out of the car or whatever, that they could have internal bleeding. Sure. And that can make it way worse. We called the police and everything, and Samuel told the guy, you know, stay where you are, you know, don't move or whatever. 
And the guy was freaking out because he had pets in this vehicle. A cat. That would be Lacey. <laughs> a cat and a dog, a chihuahua and a cat that were loose, not in carriers. So the man was freaking out. They were just out. tossed about. So the man was freaking out about his pets. Oh, the dog was sa- a chihuahua just shaking, but it was. They always shake. <laughs> Don't. They always it was look unharmed. like they're terrified. I can laugh about this now because the guy lived, the animals lived, everyone was safe. So the cat takes off into the woods. You know the interstate of Tennessee. Heavily wooded. The cat takes off into the forest, freaking out. And the man was just hysterical about the pets. He just wanted his pets. So Samuel chases, goes across the street, grabs the cat. The cat's scratching the hell out of him. Pees all over him. But he takes it back to the Again, just drive on. Don't, don't, just go. Well, anyway, the police get there. They take the animals to, while he went to the hospital, the pets went to the, um, someplace. He got his pets back. All was happy. But, so I'm on the other side of the street, you know, panicking because I, I, the whole time I assume the man's dead. Sure. I watched this flip and it was and you're like there's no way i'm like no one is gonna i was it was terrifying and he comes back covered in blood and stuff so i'm like what happened he's like this is all from the cat you're like your your shirt is it was his wet own with blood. blood you're it like his no own blood. it's urine scratches all over him but yeah thank god the guy was fine but yeah that's a tangent on stopping and Ugh. i'm not saying do this because i don't want to get anyone sued but you're not supposed to move people in case they have internal injuries but i mean Okay, Lacey's husband's also a doctor, so he probably was like new. It was yeah, yeah. But it's probably like an episode of like Chicago Med, <laughs> where the doctors just instantly like, "Oh, you need this and this and da da," and they're shouting all these orders, and everybody knows what they're. That's probably how your husband was. And Lacey's like, "I have flip flops, I can't run." <laughs> I would have been useless in the situation. I can tell you that. But anyway, sorry about that tangent. So another neighbor, neighbor living in the same apartment complex. His name was John Ed Williams. So he said he saw his neighbor's boyfriend named Purvis Payne enter the apartment building. And then shortly after, he saw a different black male leaving the building, get into a car, and drive away. Well, soon after that, he saw Purvis running away. John stated that he had seen the first guy, um, you know, the one that got in the car several times before with Sharice. He said that sometimes they were arguing. Mm-hmm. John also said that Sharice was using drugs because he had actually been in her apartment on many different occasions when she both sold and used cocaine. And I want to say real quick, I'm not shaming anybody. I just want to point this out because I wouldn't say it if it, I didn't think it was relevant, but I just say it because there were people in her life that were likely unsavory. Likely some of the people she knew were not the best Mm -hmm. you know well who was that man that the police were chasing his name was purvis Payne. so later that day after he ran out of the building the police found him hiding in the attic at his ex at an ex-girlfriend's house so he immediately came down the stairs saying you know i didn't kill that woman he still had blood on his clothes and body They searched him over and found a packet in one of his pockets that contained cocaine residue. It was empty, but it, they tested it and, you know, swabbed it and it had the residue. In his pockets, they also found a hypodermic syringe wrapper and cap. What's a hypodermic syringe wrapper? I think that's just, so syringes usually come in. Like the paper? Individual wrappers. I only know that my 
brother's diabetic, so it's like their shots, you know? Oh, okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. They're like pre-packaged shots or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. So he was also wearing a gold watch that ended up containing both victims' blood types. Well, all of this, of course, looks really bad for purpose of this point. Not a good look. Yeah, not a good look at all. He's running from police. He has blood all over him. So they, you know, say, what's the deal here? And he explains to them he was waiting for his girlfriend to return to her apartment when he discovered that his neighbor, her neighbor, his girlfriend's neighbor, Sharice Christopher, and her children had been attacked. So he says that a black man with a long, white, tropical shirt ran down him, down the apartment stairs, and then he heard a cry for help and a baby crying. He said that he followed the noise and was shocked by what he saw. He even said he announced himself before entering in her apartment, Um, but then when he heard the crying and stuff, he just went in anyway. He said that she was holding the knife, trying to pull it out of her throat. So, you know, he bent down and helped her and pulled it out for her. her. Yeah. So he said that Sharice reached up and grabbed his shirt to pull him closer, kind of like she was trying to say something to him, trying Mm -hmm. to talk. So he also said he went to the phone for help, but couldn't really think of who to call or what to do. You know, he was just kind of... He was probably in shock. Yeah. he's He's like, what do I do? And then he said he felt like he needed to throw up. So that's when he bent over the sink and turned on the water. Mm Mm-hmm. So, and then he said that when he saw police arriving, his first thought was, the police are going to think I did this, and that's why he fled. So, that was what he told police. Well, she was a white woman with white He's, children. Yeah, it, it is important to note she was white. He is a black man. He's a black man, yes. And these were white cops. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. saying that for any other reason than that sure. was his mindset was... Oh, I total. I'm covered in blood. I've touched the the murder weapon. My fingerprints are in the apartment. My footprints are all over the apartment. I'm covered in blood. Yeah, I'm coming from the scene. I mean, I would probably run. So, one major thing that came to light was that Purvis Payne was intellectually intellectually disabled, and he suffered from neurocognitive impairment. So he was actually born premature, and even from an early age, friends, family, teachers noticed that he was behind. He tried hard in school, but had trouble with reading, math, and even following instructions. Now, I read somewhere that, like, he couldn't count money, Mm -hmm. he couldn't use a ruler, he couldn't, like, iron clothes, or... Yeah, he tried really hard in school. They said he never got in trouble for disobedience or anything. He tried hard. He kept trying to pass the test, and he just could not pass this test. Yeah. So, yeah, he couldn't count money, and he was also known to be pretty gullible. Well, yeah, and people probably took advantage of him, and mm-hmm. people are mean, especially when they know that you have, yeah, that you're not, what's the word I'm looking for? That you're not as quick as, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I yeah. guess. He was probably taking advantage of, that's for sure. So, because of, you know, his grades alone, he was never able to graduate from high school, even though he tried. Yeah. So his family also said he could not follow complicated instructions, including he couldn't even drive to a place he'd never been before. He couldn't take instructions. If he'd never been there before, it just, you know, it didn't make sense mm-hmm. to him how to get there. Mm-hmm. So growing up, he even had trouble with things like laundry, cooking, 
He needed help feeding himself until he was five years old. I mean, I don't have kids, so I don't know how long that normally takes, but isn't it like, I mean, they yeah, start like eating with should, your hands. Yeah, at, he should, as a, as a toddler, you yeah, eat with your hands. Yeah, I figured. So. so while he had these impairments, he was still known as a really good kid. He had no history of violence, no history of drug use, hadn't been in trouble. He didn't even drink. Yeah, he, he had no, right. no history as far as I could find. Right. But, you know, police did find an empty bag that contained traces of cocaine with a few other questionable items, you know, the wrappers. So when he, they asked him about this, he said that those items did not belong to him. It was just some litter that he picked up off the stairs on his way up his, to his girlfriend's apartment. Well, of course, he was still arrested. I mean, yeah, you look bad at this point. I'll give, I'll give the police that. Mm-hmm. So one thing I find really strange is when he was arrested, his mother was adamant that he wasn't on drugs or anything. She begged the police to please drug test him, and they refused. So before you get into the case details and all that stuff, I just want to talk just a little bit about Millington, Tennessee, because I feel like it does matter in this case. So Millington is is the metro area of Memphis, and it is in Shelby County. Well... Shelby County is among the 25 counties with the most recorded lynchings between 1877 and 1950 in the United States. The, the county's history is deeply rooted in slavery and deals with its legacy to this day. And a lot of the citizens there, like Purvis Payne, are descendants of slaves. And also, a quick terrible fact, Memphis is where MLK Jr. was assassinated. And I know you actually lived in the area. Which I did. Uh, my family is still from there. How long still lives did there. you live there? A while. And it was specifically Millington, right? Um, we lived. We lived in West Memphis. I mean, we lived all over. We mm-hmm. lived in West Memphis. What is also important is like when you say Shelby County and Memphis. When you live in Memphis or you say you're from Memphis, it doesn't necessarily mean downtown. I mean, there's yeah. East Memphis, Millington, Collierville, Lakeland, Mount Moriah, you know, these are all sure. like suburbs, but you're you're from Memphis. Yeah. Which is like I was saying earlier, whenever you live in Little Rock, it's like Bryant, Benton, Maumel, you know, these are all different places. You don't say I'm from Little Rock, I'm from I live in Bryant or Benton. Yeah. Well, Memphis, it's I'm from Memphis. Mm-hmm. You know does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's uh, it's very spread out in like, I mean, there's Orange Mound and there's all kinds of, you know, Midtown and Downtown anyways. Yeah. It's pretty sprawling. So, I digress from my experience. but Yeah. But it is, like you said, very deeply uh, I mean, the a South, racist community. The South I mean, this, in general, yeah. but yeah, there's certain hot spots like that. I mean, I feel like the MLK Jr. stuff, that was... Sure. There's a big history there. Yeah, there's a lot of civil rights history yeah. in Memphis. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes deep, and that kind of gives the mindset of when a black guy's found doing something, or, you know, around a white woman and she's dead. He's guilty automatically. You know, they don't I, even, yeah. Yeah. So. Which is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. But yeah, I just had to add that in before we got into it. And that's so. probably a big reason why his mother was so adamant on drug testing or you know Mm -hmm. alcohol or you know whatever because it's a community where so many to this day 
black people are marginalized because of their race. Mm -hmm. So you're not necessarily going to get a fair trial or going to get the benefit of a doubt. You're guilty. Unfortunately, I feel like they... Like how she was immediately going to drug test him X, Y, Z. Because she probably knew they, they were going to try to pull some yeah. bullshit. But. Ugh, bunch of bitches. I know. But. So, uh, yeah. So I'm going to start. Diving Take in. it from there with the. That sounds uh, good. Court stuff and the legal stuff and all the mm-hmm. other. The nitty gritties. Bad, bad stuff. So Purvis was arrested at the ex-girlfriend's house where he was hiding in her attic, blah, 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 what you said. He was booked into Shelby County Jail. His parents came to the jail immediately, and like you said, his mother requested drug testing because she knew that they were going to try to pin, you know, pin it on him, pull one over on him. Judicial reach around Mm -hmm. again. And she, she knew it wasn't a good look for him. Black man, white woman, white children murder it's not anything to mess around with like you said they didn't do the test but they didn't have a reason to you know i mean they didn't you know at the time um his attorney was a public defender who could have requested it but he didn't nothing in the police reports had said anything about drugs drug use or any drugs being found they made him strip down to his underwear, which I guess is protocol, so they can take photos yeah. to kind of of the body of I the body probably. to see if there's any you know markings or defense wounds or whatever. There were two marks on his shoulders that prosecutors would bring up later on and say they were cuts or scratches, mm-hmm. but turns out they were stretch marks. Yeah, he did have blood on him. And on his clothing that did belong to the victims, which was consistent with his account that he had helped her and came in to, you know, assist her after she had been attacked. It was not consistent with actually doing the crime Mm -hmm. itself. You know, like you said, you got to think if there's blood on the ceiling and the walls and the floor. It was everywhere. So, in, like, the crime scene photos, with it being all over, he would have been covered. Well, especially, like you said, she grabbed him and she pulled it She grabbed him close. and pulled him closer, yes. Um, I don't know. I don't think you could be near her and not have blood on you. Right. So, at the crime scene, the apartment was neat. There was no sign of a struggle anywhere else in the house except for the kitchen that was where the crime had taken place. It also indicated extreme rage. Like it was completely, again, horrific. On not just her, but the children as well. It was most likely someone who knew the victims or were close to the victims. Like It was an overkill. A complete overkill. Like you don't do that much to children and her like you said 86 stab wounds if you're just mad that someone right yeah there was also like you said the baseball cap found on Lacey's arm that they said belonged to pain but I never found anything saying that it did indefinitely belong to him yeah I never found any information on that either so I don't know I do know it was the kind that had the notches in it so it could 
right fit like a certain head. Sure, but that's all I know. There were three cans of Colt 45 40 ounce beer with his fingerprints on them inside her apartment, which doesn't make any sense to me because uh, here's what I'm struggling with is the timeline of everything. Like if, you know, they're at the cookout and she, you know, they're all downstairs, her and the kids and they, she's taking them upstairs to put them down for a nap. Mm-hmm. So they leave the cookout. The man sees the guy. You know what I'm saying? The man sees the guy. The witness sees a different black man. Right. And then he sees Purvis come in. Mm-hmm. And the lady hears the screaming and she calls the cops. The cops are there. They're there in like two minutes. Yeah. Basically. They're there super mm-hmm. quickly. That's a very short timeline. It It is. To stab someone that many times. Stab three people. Yeah. That many times, go to the sink, mm-hmm. drink three 40-ounce beer, and then run out. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It just the timeline just, and I wish we could have found something that was more definitive that really laid it out. Mm-hmm. There were fingerprints also of his found on the phone, sink, knife, which completely correlates with what he said you know like I grabbed the phone I didn't know who to call I felt like I was gonna be sick I went to the sink I turned on the water which is what the neighbor heard she did say that she did hear the water Mm -hmm. on and he says without being prompted he didn't know what the neighbor said so his fingerprints also like were on the knife he's not denying no he's not denying any of that Mm -hmm. I did touch the knife I pulled it out of her throat yeah which you know like I said everything matches his statement So, at the trial, Purvis went over the day's events. He said that he had spent the day checking back and forth to see if his girlfriend was home. She had went to Arkansas to visit some family. Nobody had cell phones. And so, going from Tennessee to Arkansas, living in Memphis, it's not that big of a stretch. I mean, like, I lived in West Memphis and worked in Memphis and drove it every day. Like, it's not, it's like... It's closer than driving from Cabot to Little Rock. Yeah, it's close. So there were no cell phones, obviously, in 1987. So he kind of hung out with friends and family throughout the day and attended a church picnic. He said he returned to the apartment around 3 p.m. And as he was entering, a man with blood on him rushed past him after he jumped from a second floor landing. So he like jumped over the landing onto the stairs and like rushed past him. As he did all this, um, he dropped a bunch of change and paper and whatever, and Purvis stopped and picked it up because it was in front of his girlfriend's apartment, and he was like, it was trash, so I didn't want it left out there. I so, do that if I have yeah. trash in my... Yeah. So I picked it up, mm-hmm. and as I'm picking it up, I heard, you know, mm-hmm. sounds or whatever from across the you know, the apartment across Mm -hmm. from my girlfriend's apartment. Purvis knew Sharice and her children because his girlfriend had children and their children would play together. And sometimes he and his girlfriend and Sharice and her boyfriend would sit outside with the kids or play cards or have some drinks together or whatever. Um, 
so he knew who she was. So he, yeah. you know, the door was ajar. He knocked on it, announced himself, walks in, and he said, "That's when I saw the worst thing I ever could see." Mm-hmm. So, like you had mentioned earlier, he saw her. He knelt down. She grabbed his shirt. She was had her hands on the knife, trying to pull mm-hmm. it out of her throat. You know, she was trying to tell him, you know, probably help. Yeah. And so he pulled it out and was like, I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm going to get help. Overcome with pure shock. Feels like he's going to throw up. Goes to the sink. That's when he sees Lacey. He hears crying. It's Nicholas. Mm-hmm. He goes to Nicholas. He's still awake and breathing and crying. And he reaches down and puts his hand on his back and it's like, you know, don't, don't cry. Don't cry. I'm, I'm going to go get help for you. I'm going to go, get, I'm going to help you guys. And he hears siren. Yeah. So he runs out to flag the cops essentially down. Like this is, this is where it is. They see him terrible. Look, like you said, his blood on him. He's a black man, white woman. They instantly he's guilty. Mm-hmm. panics runs and th- i mean the rest is history like they yeah. never focused on anybody else from that point from that he point, was the murderer he was the murderer to, in the, yes a hundred percent they did they didn't even bother they looking didn't look up who that other guy was no he, he was there was a witness another a witness, witness did said, say yeah. that i did see a man that I had seen before with her. And it has four people in the building. This witness is one of the people that lives there. The manager's the other people. Mm-hmm. That leaves two apartments that that guy's going up to visit. Mm-hmm. Charisse and Purvis's girlfriend. girlfriend. Who wasn't home. So who is he going up there to see? Right. I mean, it's not like it's a huge building. No. Right. It's right. really narrowed down with who is this guy. Mm-hmm. And but. this man that, you know, did come forward and say, I did see the witness too, knew that... Charisse did drugs Mm -hmm. and that she sold drugs because he had went to her apartment and done both. Bought them from her, witnessed her selling them to other people, and did cocaine with her. So the prosecution painted Payne as a sexually aggressive black man on drugs who was looking for a white woman to attack. They would mention Charisse's skin color several times in front of the jury throughout the entire trial. They argued that she was sexually assaulted, even though she was fully clothed and there was zero evidence of this whatsoever. Nothing pointed to a sexual attack at all. Tampon gate. So, the tampon, like you mentioned, that this is a drinking game. Every time, every time we say tampon in this episode, take a drink. So the tampon that was found beside her body, they said he removed it to sexually assault her, but it's not in any of the crime scene photos and it's not in the video that they took of the crime scene. There's, there's no tampon anywhere in any of it. In fact, it wasn't mentioned at all until two days after the arrest and the crime had happened, and it's not in any of the initial police reports. They never mention it. So it's almost strictly speculating 
It's almost like they dug it out of the trash and it I, said it's, it's strange. Like he didn't do all these things, attack her. And she was on her period, the autopsy did say. Yeah, they said she was. But it is strange, yeah, it's not in photographs, it's it doesn't exist until a couple of days later. And again, the time frame, like you stabbed her, drank your three giant beer, stabbed the children, committed this crime, undressed her, pulled her tampon out, was like, and she oh was, shit, yeah, she was she's totally on her tampon, let me re-dress her. Mm-hmm. And the, they were shoved up. That's pushed up. So... I mean, it it could have happened. I'm not saying it couldn't have been sure, there. Sure, it's just, it, it, they should have noted, if the tampon was there, it, they should have taken photos of that. That should have at least been documented somehow. It's just like, it doesn't exist for days. Right. Um, that only gets brought in as evidence when they try to say, oh, well, you know, he tried to rape it, her. Right, right. They did, like you said, find the, phos- was it phosphate, phosphorus? Anyways, they phosphatase. phosphatase. They did find that in her vaginal swabs. Remember, there's no DNA, so they couldn't yes, test it back yes, then. Yes, yes. And it did not contain sperm. Like you said, her boyfriend did say we did have sex the night before. But again, not to completely repeat what Lacey said, but that doesn't mean you had sex at all sometimes. It could just, exactly. your body produces that naturally. Mm-hmm. And there was no semen present. None. None. So the state's expert witness actually said it could have been there for days, not just immediately. But their laser focus was on Purvis. They didn't even look at any any of the other suspects. Their theory relied on untested, completely circumstantial evidence of him being high and drunk, Despite of no testing, it and yeah, it's it's insane. So at one point, they asked Purvis how he got blood on his leg. His response was, "Well, when she hit the wall, she splashed when she fell back." They go back and forth. Him being questioned, you know, they're really drilling him. What do you mean? What do you mean when she hit the wall? What do you mean hit the wall? He says, "When she hit, and I got ready to run up the stairs." So, could it be that he didn't understand exactly what they were saying because of his mental disability? I, I mean, who knows? It. I don't think that that's an admittance of guilt that I murdered her. Does it look good for him? No. Yeah, when I read that, I didn't quite know what that meant even. Right. I mean, you could take it as... You could take it a lot of different ways. Sure. It's completely... Yeah. Another eyewitness, like you said, had mentioned seeing a dark hand with a watch trying to slam the door back and forth. And he was actually wearing a gold watch when he was arrested and it did have victim's blood on it. But it would have because he had it all over him and he was trying to help them. So that's not beyond reasoning to, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like it, it's was very questioned. Right, either. right. Mm-hmm. They argued the death penalty using details of Nicholas' little boy's ordeal during the attack. That he was still conscious and his eyes were open. He was able to respond to the paramedics when they got there. And he actually had to hold his intestines in mm. while en route to the ambulance. Where, you know, they took him to Le Bonheur Hospital. 
that he was very aware of what happened to his mother and sister, which is awful. Yeah. Terrible. It's traumatic. It's very traumatic. So the defense, you know, his, his mother and father and girlfriend all spoke of his character, that he had zero previous criminal record, no drinking. He did not do drugs. He worked with his dad as a painter. His girlfriend said he was great with her kids and actually had become like a surrogate father to them. That, you know, her and him had met at church and that he was a Christian and just was not in his character. He had no reason to. Had he ever been violent with her children? Never. Never been violent with anyone. Ever. Purvis himself made a very poor witness for his defense due to his learning disability. He should not have been on no. the witness stand, but no. what, what were he, they thinking? He was completely unable to assist his attorney. I mean, but, I think that hurt more than anything. Right. There was nothing to suggest that he was capable of this at all. The defense also argued that the lack of evidence of drug use and the fact that it hadn't been mentioned in the multiple page police reports. So there were six pages of police reports where there was never a mention of any drugs. There was no mention of him appearing to be on or in possession of any drugs on the day of the arrest. Six pages, no mention. The only thing pointing to this was the paper that he said he found when the guy jumped that was in the trash that he picked up and put into his pocket. They claim, you know, that it tested positive for traces of cocaine, but the defense never got to do their own individual testing because the paper was lost at some point between the prosecution's testing and two weeks later. They lost the evidence? They lost the evidence. I'm not saying it didn't have cocaine sure. trace residue because not victim shaming whatsoever, but she was known to have yeah. sold drugs, participated in taking drugs, and done them with other people in the apartment complex. So the man leaving could have very well yeah, went to her apartment and done drugs with her or had it on him because he did sure. drugs and it fell out. Yeah. So I'm not saying it did not have them on there. What I'm saying is it most likely did not belong to purpose. Just because you are in possession of something does not mean. I'm not saying it's a good look, but. Which brings us to testing, DNA testing. So DNA testing was never done. No blood match from the kitchen was ever done, which was the only crime scene. Courts have previously denied requests for testing of the DNA, which they have been asking for for the past 14 years, especially since there's new testing technology. But it was finally granted last year, 30-something years. So finally in September of 2020, they, you know, a judge said, yeah, we'll allow the DNA testing, which the DA, Amy Wyrich, you know, I can't pronounce names, (laughs) She opposed it, like adamantly opposed the DNA testing. Why? Did she say why? I mean, they've got, they've got the guy that they think did it. So why would you (sighs) even humor his defense with testing or put the family through that if you think you have your guy? I'm, again, strictly speculating where she's coming from. 
but I just do the testing. Do I think? I mean, if this is really, yeah, if testing. this is really about finding justice, if this then, is fair, then you need to find yeah. justice for now both families. Yeah. So items to be tested include the tampon, the clothes, knife, fingernails, uh, vaginal swabs that were never tested, blood-stained curtains, tablecloth, women's glasses, a stuffed animal, a paper sack, and a washcloth from the living room. I also want to mention that several items from the evidence has been lost, such as the paper with the cocaine Mm -hmm. residue, some fingernail clippings. There was a whole list of other things, but I don't know where I wrote that. But anyways, if stuff like this happens for a, okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just so infuriating. It's this whole case is very, very infuriating. I mean, just the presence of DNA belonging to another individual could support his consistent story all these years that he just came upon this crime scene, Mm -hmm. that he did not do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, they could run fingerprints from the crime scene against FBI, next generation identification in the fingerprint database, and the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation. So this new fingerprint matches algorithms, which increases the odds of it being, you know, identified from 92% to 99.6%. Wow. Like it's, it's like as effective as birth control. (laughs) 99.6%. I mean, that's a pretty good. Yeah. So last year, a man in Louisiana was in his 37th year of his life sentence for a home invasion and rape. When he was exonerated after a search in the fingerprint database found another person. Yeah, it took them less than eight hours for the results to come back. And they belonged to a serial offender who had committed like five other crimes in that area. 37 years this man has been in prison and he didn't do it. All because they, and that's all that they're asking is like, just... Just test it. Yeah. Even if it comes back, I mean, he's still going to be in prison, mm-hmm. but at least explore other suspects. Which brings me to my list of other okay. suspects. So, this is a list of who had mm-hmm. motive and could have possibly done this other than Purvis Payne. Yeah. Number one is Sharice's ex-husband, Kenny, who, like you said, had a history of abusing her during their marriage. He was serving time for aggravated assault at Ford Pillow State Pen, which was minimum security, and it's about an hour from Memphis. Mm-hmm. Totally doable drive, I'm just saying. Um, an employee went on and said that, you know, you could come and go. There was nobody that kept. There were lots of people who would have their family wait down the street and they would walk away for the day and just go out and do whatever. And then there's people who are on work release. So they're coming and going and there was no one to keep tabs on, like do a head count, which blows my mind. This prison. Yeah. You know, her sister had said that she saw bruising on her neck, you know, Mm -hmm. Sharice's sister. 
said that at one point she did come and visit, saw bruising on her neck. So he did have a history of beating her physically. Um, he was not a stand-up citizen. No, and her sister said that she was terrified of yeah. her ex-husband. So he definitely had a long history yeah. of was, criminal activity yeah. before and after mm-hmm. he married her. Number two, the man they saw running away. Again, I won't go to, we've already talked about him a bazillion times. But, you know, the guy from the apartment, like mm-hmm. you said, did say that There's he. a witness to confirm that yeah. this guy was there. And that sometimes they were arguing. Number three, this is the person who I think committed this terrible, awful crime. Charles Douglas Jones. So, Leroy Jones was his brother. And he said that his brother was her drug dealer. That she worked for him and sold drugs and she also did drugs. Also, the guy that lived there said that he went to her house several times where she was selling and did cocaine. So he owed this drug dealer money. Um, His brother Leroy said he was present at a meeting that took place where the big drug dealer told Jones that she owed him money and she needed to be killed. He had a sworn statement saying that he later heard his brother say, man, Purvis was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I'm like, is that not an admission? I mean, I know he didn't come right out and say it, but she did pop positive for amphetamines and methamphetamines found in her system in the toxicology report. And uh, her ex-husband even went on to say that he knew that she had a history of drug use and that she did do drugs. Not victim shaming. You do you, but... It just, it points to evidence Other people had motives Mm -hmm. where Purvis did not. So... And also, something else to mention is drug dealers are pretty ruthless. Like, it wouldn't have phased them to, not that I know a lot of drug dealers, but you wouldn't, it wouldn't phase them to, I mean, they kill everybody and everything. I mean, they'll kill your dog. It's not going to phase them. If you owe them money, they're going to kill you and your children. Like, it's not, they're not going to leave any witnesses. Yeah. Where, again... You know, Purvis, I don't know. I don't know. It just, I get up in my feels about this. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, so the, that's who I think yeah. did it. And uh, like I said, they, they both, you, you know. You think he did it or he sent someone to do it? I think he sent someone to do it. Maybe the guy who ran past mm-hmm. him sent. Like a lower level. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. I just know my stuff in the Sopranos. They usually send. Well, they're not going to do it. The yeah. lower guys. No. In to no. Get their hands yeah, no, they're not going to do it. Yeah. They're not going to do it. Purvis's IQ was tested after the arrest. Mm-hmm. It was 72. He was tested again in September of 2020 to correct an outdated form on the test. Where he scored a 63.4. So as a student, like you had mentioned, he could barely read or write. And because of this, he was employed by his dad. 
Dr. Martell, a psychologist who tested him in September, said he exhibits sufficient deficiencies in all three domains of adaptive functioning. So, social, practical, like he, he -hmm. just, he had disabilities and all that. He was slow and all of that. He definitely met the criteria for an intellectual disability. Mm -hmm. Disability. Yeah, and they have, I have this in my notes too, because they have their own set of standards, Mm -hmm. official standards. And um, so his intellectual disability is consistent with those set by the American Association on Intellectual and Developmental Disabilities and the American Psychiatric Association. So he's not making this stuff up. This No, they've tested him. Like he, this, you know, Dr. Martell tested him and... According to all these standards, and he fit the bill. He was definitely mentally handicapped. Dr. Martell also said he was the most polite prisoner he had ever met. I read that too. So the Supreme Court has banned the execution of people with intellectual disabilities, which makes the state's pursuit of this execution even more appalling. Yeah. And there's the Atkins versus Virginia in 2002 was the case that mm-hmm. put all of this into effect, um, that it violates his Eighth Amendment on cruel and unusual punishment. So, again, Tennessee has a law against this, but it's only for people who were sentenced after this law went into effect. Like, they're not going back on cases. So that's why they're not getting into his case. That's why they're okay. not getting into his case. Wow. But... So State Representative G.A. Hardaway said he would file a bill to address this the next legislative meeting that they have in January. So now, this month. Wow. So he's filing it now or oh maybe God. already With has filed it. lifetime on yeah, this is... To try to get the loopholes closed and yeah. say, if we're going to do this, we need to do it. Mm-hmm. Not just from now on, but, you know, I mean, it's like, the whole thing with marijuana being legal, like then set the people that are arrested for marijuana that are in prison yeah. overcrowding is a problem. Clearly mm-hmm. let them go as, yeah. as long as it wasn't a, they didn't shoot somebody and steal their car to go yeah. sell some pot. Let them go if I can buy it and keep it now. So anyway, so he's, he's working on that now. And some, another thing too, that this law that will now protect people with intellectual disabilities. Right. It And it said in some of the reasoning, it's because a lot of the time they make poor witnesses on their behalf when sure. they take the stand, kind of like mm-hmm. what he did. I mean... I don't think I would make a good witness. I mean, I don't think I you would panic either. I'd be like, and you, don't yeah, get me up there. Yeah. You don't... You stutter. No, you don't know I what... Mean, I mean, your so. life is on the line. The jury, in his case, deliberated for only 12 minutes. Oh, my goodness. Yes. 12 minutes? 12 minutes. He was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and one count of first-degree assault with the intent to commit murder and was sentenced to death for each murder plus 30 years for his assault on Nicholas. So I don't know too much about this, but when the jury's deliberating, do they know what the sentencing might be? Like, do they know death penalties on the table? Yes. Goodness. That... 12 minutes? 12 minutes. Okay. I mean, 
I could, if I were on the jury, I could have had all the DNA tested. And I've I sat in a drive-through like, line longer about than that. This, I have sat in a drive-through line longer. Yes, I could not make a decision I, on I someone's make life. A decision that fast. Okay, if if it was beyond a reasonable doubt, yeah. but they raised a lot of doubt. There's a lot of reasonable doubt. Stuff going missing. And no, yeah. So, I mean, the victim, Casey Anthony, gets off girl. the hook. <laughs> What? And OJ. I, it's just stuff like that. And, and I don't know. I just, that blows my mind. Yes. I I can't imagine a 12-minute chat about that. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So the victim impact statement from Sharice's mom probably played a huge part in that. And it was the first one ever involving a capital punishment case. Oh period ever Interesting. so she you know had went on and talked about how he cried for his mom and his lacy and i mean which is awful it's terrible what happened to her is absolutely it's, terrible it is and i really don't want people that listen to misconstrue what yeah. we're saying we're not yeah, discounting we absolutely the care fact about yes and that lacy and nicholas exactly we're it's awful awful what happened to all three of them yeah. and their families but it's also not even not even equally as awful. I don't want to say that, but it, it is awful that Purvis has went through this. We just want to bring attention to the case so justice can mm-hmm. be served for everybody. For Purvis as well as Sharice and Lacey and Nicholas. So I did actually find another case where a man was convicted in a similar situation. Hmm. So a Florida man, Clement Aguirre. So this man from Florida, Clement, was convicted in the stabbing deaths of his neighbor after he discovered the crime scene. Like Payne, he ran from the scene after he touched the weapon where he was trying to help Police said blood on his clothes and his fingerprints at the crime scene were evidence of guilt. Jury agreed, and he was sentenced to death. Fifteen years in prison and ten years on death row is when they finally agreed to do DNA testing. In 2018, drops of blood from the scene were tested and the blood didn't belong to him or the victims and ended up pointing to another suspect. In 2016, Florida Supreme Court overturned his conviction and he was taken off death row. Yeah. The same suspect had already confessed to killing these people. To five other people. So this girl, it turns out, was the daughter and the granddaughter of the two victims. So it was like she killed her mom and her grandmother. And she told like five other people, yeah, I did it. How long was he on death row? Or in prison? Just 15 years. And even if you're exonerated, you don't get 15 years of your life back. No. I just, mm -mm -mm. I hate that so much. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. There's nothing you can give them. I mean, this is what I'm hoping for with Purvis Payne's case, is that something like this will happen, at least 
Just test the DNA. Right. Why not? Right. Yeah. So uh, Purvis's execution has been pushed back. They reconvene on April the 9th to re-sentence unless DNA proves otherwise. So they are doing the DNA now. Yes. They are. Oh, okay. Yes. They right. are doing it and they are doing the testing Thank goodness. as we're talking about it. So there have been 367 post-conviction DNA exoneration cases to date nationwide. That is a almost 400 people who would have been put to death. <laughs> I know. It's it's insane to me. 162 of these not only exculpated the innocent but also led to the identification of the actual assailant. And we want these people in prison. Yeah. The people that do the crime, we want them. I don't want them walking We just free. don't want a body yeah. in prison. Yeah. We want the person yeah. who did it in prison. I don't want people to just arrest people. So wrongful convictions are usually from false confessions or improper forensic analysis. 76% of the first 250 people exonerated of crimes as a result of DNA evidence were convicted in part of a result of a mistaking, mistaken eyewitness identification. So like the eyewitness sometimes mistakes somebody. Yeah. So like I saw a blonde girl go, you know, going out of the door. And well, you saw a, a blonde girl. It doesn't mean it was Lacey. You just saw a yeah. blonde girl. But, gosh, there was a documentary I was watching, or it might have been a docu-series about how our memories are faulty. And even if you see see someone, and every time you recount that, it could be totally wrong. It's just wild. How yeah, that and I happens. read somewhere that it's like your your memory, what you're remembering is the last time you remembered. Mm-hmm. So it changes. It, every time you remember a memory. Yeah. Yeah. Every time you remember a memory, your memory shifts some. Sure. So what you have of your memory now is not identical to the actual what happened so uh yeah that's our whew, that's, that's a lot that was heavy i cried a lot whenever i was doing my research and cry my face it off. really is and i'm not i know a lot of people that listen I actually did a poll on our instagram it's about half and half on their feelings about the death penalty which isn't really surprising to me but um it's just when you're when you're covering cases like this that are dealing with someone that you just I'm not saying I think he's innocent 100%. Correct. I'm not I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I think <sighs> he needs yes. He he needs his DNA checked. All the options need to ex- be explored and once the police are investigating, look at other, you know, look at it all. No, I'm not I saying agree. Chase zebras, but look at people that are involved or people that are witnesses like if someone was seen going to that apartment that day, they should have tracked that person down or tried. They didn't even try. A hundred percent. So this is just one of those cases and my heart breaks for everyone involved because so he's a part of the Innocence Project. They're the, the group that kind of took him on and they're advocates for people like him that haven't, you know, in their opinions, these people haven't given the fair shake and I'd also encourage everyone listening to go check out the Innocent Project's website in general, but especially regarding this case because, I mean, they're they're meeting up now. And 
things are going to happen happen soon. And if you'd like to help Purvis's fight for for justice, there please is, do, please do. Yeah, and and we have shared some of this. If you go to our Facebook, but we'll do it again. There's an online petition. You can sign on Purvis P E R V I S Payne P A Y N E dot org, and we're going to share this on social media and of course tweeting. Sharing a story, all of that helps spread the word. And on the website, you can actually send a note to Purpose as well, which that was really... It was really, really a lovely gesture. Yeah. And you may also text, in all caps, no spaces, Team Pain, T-E-A-M-P-A-Y-N-E, to the number 52886. And this will sign the petition as well. Again, we're going to put that everywhere. Just just wanted to throw all that out there. Um, yeah, go to the Innocence Project site and read about him and some other cases. It's it's really heavy, but if this the smallest thing we can do all day is spend five minutes to sign something, then or not even that, but if you want to read a little bit about it, five minutes. Right. Read their blurbs, whatever. Right. But this is this is just really heavy. It's it's a really intense case and it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of interviews of his mother and father, and I, I know that's separate from what happened, but you can tell they're a very good family. Mm-hmm. I just, they're just through their stories and their photos, and mm-hmm. you know, a very loving family, and you know, it's it's not like he came from right from a family that was he wasn't an abused child or yeah, a neglected had, child yeah. who had a reason to. Yeah, not that all people that not aren't that all people, people have. But, a, yes, exactly. I was just fixing to say that. Yeah, but it is common when we hear about people that end up becoming murderers. Their childhood is not great. That's not always the case. I'm not saying that, but in this case, if it Purvis, it's he had a good upbringing. But yeah, so we're all sad. Yeah, no, I'm like. <laughs> But I planned something. Oh, oh. To I thought we needed a palate cleanser from this. Please. So I'm going to give you some fun Tennessee facts. Oh, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure where you were going with that. I'm like, I got to look up something of Tennessee other than this sad stuff. So fun fact, there are more horses per capita oh, Jesus. in Shelby County. Than any other county in the United States. That makes zero sense. Well, there's a, a lot of horse racing there, right? No. Oh, is there not? In Memphis? Memphis? Oh, I thought they had a track. Is it West Memphis? That's dogs. Oh. There's the Greyhound track. Don't be asking me. Lacey about does not have facts. <laughs> no, this is true. It is true, I promise. I'll have to Google that. That blows my mind. No, there's not a horse track in Memphis. Maybe there's, listen, I don't know. Maybe I mean, there's Shelby Farms. Maybe you can go horseback riding. Maybe they're really into horseback riding. I don't know. No, there's not that many there either. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up. Continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> if any of you have debunked my fun facts that I just did a quick Google search for, um, email me at unitedstatesofmurder at gmail.com and correct me. That's totally fine. Yeah, and also, as soon as we're done, I'm going to call every family member that I have, all 300 of them that live in Memphis, and, and be like, if you don't horses, get horses? Well, here's another one. Um, Tennessee has more than 3,800 documented caves. Do you know there are that many caves in Tennessee? Well, I mean, like, probably out east. Mm-hmm. Probably, like, going yeah. past Nashville, like, in yeah. North Carolina. 
Yeah, the Smokies. Sure. The Ridge yeah. Mountains and all that. That makes sense. But still, in that one area, almost 4,000 caves. I mean, a cave, I think, can, by definition, be fairly small. So, I don't know. Anyway, Tennessee, a Tennessee lake was created by an earthquake. Really? Have you heard about that? Do you nope. know of Real Foot Lake? R-E-E-L, Real Foot? Nope. I know of Pickwick. So, What? So, it's located in Lake and Obion counties. Nope. I don't know where that is. But, anyway, it was created by a series of violent earthquakes on the New Madrid Fault Zone in late 1811, according to the State Encyclopedia. Fun fact, Tennessee has more species of trees than any other state. All useless information that she's given us. Okay, you'll like this. You'll like this. Famous people from Tennessee include Miley Cyrus, uh-huh. Justin Timberlake. Who hey, is fellow from Millington. Memphis. Yeah. Morgan Freeman, Megan Fox, the Queen Dolly Parton. She's from Tennessee, not Memphis. Sorry, no. Fa- this is famous people from Tennessee. I got confused. Anyway, so yeah, Dolly Parton, Tina Turner, and Johnny Knoxville, which. I think I knew the Johnny Knoxville one. Well, in case you planned on asking me about bears. I wasn't, but okay. Only one species of bears live in Tennessee. Can you, do you want to take a guess at which one? Black bears. Yes, good job. Same for Arkansas, fun fact. Yeah. Um, The Tennessee Wildlife Resources, Resources Agency website refers to them as state treasures sure can (laughs) (laughs) so that was a palate cleanser everyone's learning useless facts here's also a useless fact and it's probably um not even true but i remember when i was little my family would go down to um the levee like uh, the bank of the Missi- oh, yeah. <laughs> the bank like of the Mississippi River, yeah. and they had like dune buggies where they took like old beetles and turned them into like dune buggies. Anyways, so we would go down there. My grandmother told me that when they were building the bridges that connect Memphis to West Memphis, that a man fell off, and when they pulled him out, there was a catfish that swallowed him almost whole. What? It was that. <laughs> Big that there are the catfish are so big in the Mississippi River that it almost swallowed a man whole. Again, she's telling <laughs> she's telling all her little grandchildren this. It was probably just to scare us, but it also makes me want to look up that. Like, how big are the catfish in the Mississippi River? Well, it is possible because it connects to the ocean that um, some bull sharks can even get into. Yeah, the Mississippi. That's from third grade, guys. But also, you can't swim in the Mississippi River. Oh, no. It For is those that way don't know, too swift. No one is There's swimming. The current is no. no. It is so fast. Yeah, nobody's swimming in the Mississippi no. River. It's, no. No. Not at all. So, there's my useless old wives tale that my little sweet granny told me. <laughs> That's terrifying. God rest her soul. Yes. Again, I think she was probably just trying to scare us, but I've always wondered about that. Going back to people that message us, I forgot to tell you that someone sent us a link to zip, zip tie. Oh gosh, the lighter tricks. What's the thing called? The zippo. Yeah, the zippo light tricks. I told you. You I- thought I was crazy. <laughs> like the cockfighting. 
happens. And like now my catfish story. <laughs> oh my Welcome to United States of Murder where Ashley always has some bullshit story. <laughs> but I'm like, I mean, I'd never seen it before. I'm like, thank you for sharing. If you have anything. I like to hear people's rando facts. We love hearing your random things and reach out for whatever reason. It's, we always enjoy it. But uh, yeah, be sure to follow us on United States of Murder on Instagram and US of M podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Again, we'll be sharing all this stuff to sign. We would really appreciate you looking it over. Um, yes, this is going on right now. Yeah. So I mean, it's. If any of you, we, we actually have a lot of Tennessee listeners. Probably all my family. That's Thank <laughs> you. I know my, my cousin friend. <laughs> I know my cousin Mandy always yeah. comments on our stuff. Oh, okay. Hi, Mandy. Yeah, my Hi, best Andy. friend Samantha's from Nashville, but yeah, we have a lot of Tennessee listeners. So if anyone actually knows about anything, which is possible, it's a small world. Um, mm-hmm. Email us at United States of Murder at gmail dot com if you have any anything to add about this, or you know anything about, or you want to tell us that we're totally wrong, I like mean, somebody did about into- the dark web. <laughs> We never claim to be dark web aficionados. <laughs> In fact, I think I even said we no know. idea. And I also, I'm just looking up what I find on my resources. Okay. I'm definitely no expert no on the dark shame. web. But anyway, so where are we next week? I think we're going to do New Jersey. New Jersey. And again, we're really bummed out. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to look up more facts now. Yes. Bye. Bye.